My meditation today is from John chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. It reads as follows. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet, to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. There's two phrases I want to focus on this evening. The first is the phrase, those who believed in his name. What is, what is belief? The other is we have seen his glory. What is the nature of Christ's glory? We've seen it, apparently. What was it like? What did it look like? Now, I don't want to speculate. Instead, what I want to do today, tonight is look at how, when John tells the rest of the story of Jesus, what form does belief take in those stories? As you read through the Gospel of John, what does belief look like? And John tells us we've seen his glory. What exactly was it that people saw that John said that is his glory? So let's look at it ourselves. What is belief and what is the glory that we've behold? Beholden? Beheld? That we've seen. What is the glory that we've seen? So let's look uh, just a, three stories from John four, five, and six. The first one is found in John four, and it finds the disciples and Jesus traveling, and through an unexpected turn, they travel through Samaria. Now, let me just tell you, it's strange that they travel through Samaria. I'm not going to bore you with the details. Let's just say that people growing up were taught Samaritans hate the Jewish people and the Jewish people hate Samaritans. They're, that there was, they would have rather gone through around Samaria than passed through it. But Jesus says, I know a shortcut. Let's go through Samaria. And they come upon a well. And Jesus is so tired. And he sits at the well. It's in the middle of the day. And he tells his disciples, would you go get some food and bring it back? And they go and He's alone by himself at a well. And we're told that this is Jacob's well. Perhaps this is where the story begins to bring healing. This is a place that has history. Jacob, before there was such a thing as a Samaritan, God had chosen Jacob. That in this place in the middle of the day, Jesus sitting there in a known well, and a woman comes up in the middle of the day. Not in the morning, when most people would go to the well, those jars are heavy. I don't know if you've ever carried water. Water's, water's heavier than it looks. And so up in the middle of the day comes a woman. 
She's covered in sweat already. She's wiping sweat off of her brow. She doesn't maybe look up and see someone sitting there until Jesus speaks to her. That's strange. It's strange enough to find somebody up there. He's clearly Jewish. He seems important. Perhaps he's a rabbi. And, and then he starts talking to her. And he doesn't speak condemnation or um, start saying terrible things about her. He actually instead has a request. Would you be so kind as to get me some water? And so she does, and he drinks it, and they begin to have a conversation. And it's a conversation where he is talking about water. She's known religious people, rabbis. She knows they always talk in riddles, and she's having some fun. And he says to her, you know, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for water. Because I have a water that I could give you, and you would never thirst again. And she throws her head back in laughter. That is absurd. These rabbis and their riddles, what are you talking about? If you had water that made you never have to thirst again, then why do you need mine? So she calls his bluff. Yeah, sure. Give me some of that water. I'd love some of that water so I don't have to come up this hill every day. And then everything takes a turn. The record scratches. He says, well, why don't you go and get your husband? And everything changes on her face. Oh, my husband. The surprise, the banter, the fun they were having. Now everything has, has turned. He's just another religious zealot, just another person trying to make her feel ashamed for her life. I don't have one of those, she whispers, and her head hangs low, the lightness gone, her defenses up. She stands to go, and he says, you're right. You're with someone now who is not your husband. You've had five husbands, but the man you're with is not your husband. What you've said is quite true. Now, we have to be a little careful here. This isn't what you might be thinking. Uh, women in the first century did not have the right to initiate a divorce. They could not say to their husband, uh, even if he was mean, terrible, they could not say, you know what? I'm done. I'm leaving. They were not afforded that right. Only a man can initiate a divorce. So what does that tell us about this woman? She's been abandoned five times. And the man she's with now hasn't even bothered to propose or make it official. Official in a way that would offer her some sort of protection. This woman is a survivor. This woman is a person who has had their heart broken. She's been abandoned rejected, and probably because she was unable to produce children. I mean, why else would she come in the middle of the day? Because maybe some of those women that married her exes come up to get water with their kids, this reminder of what she wasn't able to provide. Maybe, maybe they seem really happy. Maybe 
they think she's cursed. She probably feels cursed. So she deflects as Jesus is getting to the heart of her pain. They talk about, about the temple, where is the proper place to worship, and he tells her, you know, a time is coming when worshipers around the world will worship God in spirit and truth. They won't need a temple. This question about which temple and where and why and how, those are all be gone. And she says, I know this will happen when the Messiah comes. And then Jesus tells her straight, I'm the Messiah. And I've come looking for people just like you. Of all the people. I mean, Jesus has not explicitly told his own disciples I'm the Messiah. And then this woman at the well is the first person that Jesus tells, I am the Messiah. I trust you with that truth. And she goes back and tells the whole village everything. So what, is, what does belief look like in this, in John 4? Well, belief looked like giving Jesus some water, engaging in a conversation, and not denying her brokenness. Just being honest with Jesus and trusting him with her story as Jesus discloses his. What shape does glory take? Glory takes the form of mercy, compassion, listening, taking her seriously, cutting through all the cultural baggage that says, you know, Jesus, as your PR guy, talking to a Samaritan woman by yourself is bad publicity for you. Maybe have that conversation somewhere else. I don't know. Why are you even talking to her? But what Jesus has in there, he's not disgusted by her. He doesn't, he looks her in the eye. He takes her seriously. He listens to her. All the stuff, like he's got zero contempt for her. He knows her. He sees her. She knows she's safe in, in his presence. What is glory? Glory is being seen without any shame or embarrassment. The second story is from John chapter 5, the very next chapter. Jesus is in Jerusalem for an unnamed festival. This is, again, I don't know why I'm putting myself here as Jesus' PR person, but that's great PR. Go into Jerusalem, make some connections, begin to, to network a little bit. But what Jesus de does instead is he goes to a pool, and it's a pool that has a little bit of folklore around it. People believed that if you got in the water after an angel stirred and touched the water, if you were the first one in, sometimes angels touch that water, and sometimes people are healed. What kinds of people do you think would be found around a pool like that? It would be the broken people that are hoping for some healing. People who are hoping that the angels will touch, they'll be the first ones in and they can be healed. And he looks and he sees a man that has been unable to walk for 38 years. That's a long time. If an accident had happened when he was young, 
38 years ago, maybe he fell off a roof or out of a tree. Maybe there was an accident with a horse. Walking would seem to him like a dream, like this distant memory, this thing that maybe he would experience as he was dreaming and not want to wake up from. And seeing him staring at the waters, waiting, coming every day for so many years, Jesus comes and asks him, do you want to be made well? The question may seem obvious, but Jesus will not force his healing on anyone. He looks, him, he looks up at Jesus and says, yes, and he's healed. So what form does belief take here? Well, here, just wanting to be healed. And Jesus' glory takes the form of healing. The great physician, the one that John has just told us, has made the whole world and is still making things new again. And then chapter 6, the disciples in a boat caught in a terrible storm. Several of the disciples were experienced fishermen. They knew these waters. They knew they were in incredible danger. And we're told Jesus is not with them in the boat. So they are fighting the storm. The water is crashing over the boat. They're furiously trying to get the water out of the boat. They're looking and watching as the water inside the boat gets higher and higher and higher. And they know we're about to die. People die out here all the time. Where did this storm even come from? They're terrified. They're in a panic. And then somebody says, there's a ghost walking across the water to us. And if you are in a boat, you think you're about to die, and you see a ghost walking towards you, your first thought is, this is what death must be like. Here he comes to collect our souls. And they look, and they're terrified now, thinking this is the end. And then somebody says, I think that's Jesus. And as he gets closer, he says to them, it's me. Let me on board. And they help him in. And the moment he's in the boat, they feel the shuddering stop as the boat hits the shore. They're there. They've arrived at their destination. So what does belief look like here? Here it looks like in a storm, hearing Jesus say, let me on board, it's me. And the disciples let him in. Sometimes their storm calms, as has happened in other times Jesus is caught in a storm. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you just get safely to the other side. The point is letting Jesus ride with us. Glory takes the form of Jesus walking calmly across the storms of life, asking permission to join us. And then, miraculously, we're on the other side. We got through the storm. We survived. The word became flesh and lived among us. And all who believed have seen his glory, his grace and his mercy, forgiving our past, knowing our past, and still sitting at a well and talking to people like you and me. He brings us the healing that, he need, that we need and guides us through the storm.
So, to those of you here today, maybe, that carry the shame of your past, that when you think about Jesus, you just think, he probably doesn't want to spend time with people like me. I say to you, Merry Christmas. You have seen his glory, and he is overflowing with mercy. To those who are sick, I say, Merry Christmas. Jesus is the great physician. You have seen his glory. And those who are in a storm, and you don't know how you're going to get through it, I say to you, Merry Christmas. Jesus is with you, and he will take you safely to the other side. Let's pray. Father, thank you that in Christ we are all family. Thank you that you've given us the privilege of being your children. For those who are trapped in, in shame and guilt and remorse, I pray that they would know and see your glory, for you are merciful. For those of us who are hurting, we pray for the healing that we need. And for those of us who are caught in the storms of life, may we understand and consider what it means to see you in the storm with us. And may you guide us safely to shore. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Christmas. Amen.